to a brand new episode of the Badwani Viewpoint podcast. My name is Manalisha and today's conversation is going to be about skills in the future of work, artificial intelligence, industry 4.0, the new education policy and bringing more women into India's workforce. Joining us is Robin Bomick, the Chief Business Officer of Manipal Global Skills Academy. Through its various programs, the Manipal Global Skills Academy seeks to address the gap between what the academia is producing and what the industry actually needs. Robin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Could you introduce yourself and the Manipal Global Skills Academy to our audience? Of course, Manali. Um, so my name is Robin Bomik, as you mentioned, and um, I've been working with uh, Manipal for the last four years. Uh, I'm essentially a technologist uh, by background. I've spent most of my career in the IT and technology industry. Uh, I've also done a startup before I joined Manipal. And uh, my um, educational background is uh, from um, from uh, essentially UC Berkeley, where I did my postgraduate in uh, management and prior to that, uh, graduated in, in economics um, of all subjects uh, from Jadhapur University in Calcutta. Uh, talking a little bit about Manipal Global and the Skills Academy that we have created, uh, we are essentially trying to solve for the problem of uh, large-scale skills transformation that's driving the future growth for India uh, in, a, in, a, um, in summary. And uh, when we talk about skills transformation, Manipal Global Skills Academy and a lot of our associated businesses that work in industries like banking and insurance, for example, um, have been uh, building a talent pipeline for the industry for the last 15 years now. And uh, we are very privileged uh, to be possibly the largest finishing school for the industry in this country. Uh, where across some of our skills academies, we train over 20,000 uh, graduates and employees of various organizations every year. Uh, so that's a very quick summary and a very quick introduction to Manipal Global and the Skills Academy and of course to myself. Wonderful. There are so many aspects to skilling. So let's just get straight to the conversation. To begin with, what are the most sought after skills in 2023? That's a great question to start with. And uh, the typical answer uh, to that question, if I may kick off uh, with the uh, usual answer that you would get is, is A, B, C, D. And uh, A for artificial intelligence, B for blockchain, C for cybersecurity, D for data science, and I could go on and on till till Z. Um, these are all uh, very key, critical and very key skills that would make a huge impact across industries. Um, but that's not all, uh, right? So when we talk about, for example, uh, machine learning, or we talk about programming languages such as Python, the application of machine learning or Python is across every industry. But at the same time, uh, I would also bring out skills that are required from a role and functionality perspective. So for example, India is a services country and uh, some of the growth areas for us 
are across IT, across banking, across financial services, etc. India today is also becoming the manufacturing hub of the world, right? So we are investing in areas that would include, let's say, prefabrication of uh, semiconductors and, and chip-based industry. India is a big uh, manufacturer of solar energy. Uh, we are actually the largest in the world. And uh, the whole focus on renewables, for example, and renewable energy uh, uh, is another area which is driving industry going forward. And then the whole popularly known concept of Industry 4.0, uh, which everyone talks about, uh, drives uh, the necessity for a completely new set of skills that are largely driven by, for example, automation, for example, uh, robotics, right? So I would say that beyond the ABCD that I talked about, uh, the new age skills across areas, for example, like renewables and solar power, uh, the biggest demand are for roles like project managers in, in, in areas like project management. If you look at high-tech manufacturing, the biggest demand are people that who understand uh, automation, people who understand robotics, people who understand process manufacturing, uh, etc. And of course, when you look at some of the new areas like, um, let's say, semiconductor industry, which is coming into India in a big way, um, the bigger design requirements for uh, semicon is really in how, how do you do prefab how do you do design of chips right so even before you do manufacturing of a chipset uh, you know the critical skill that's required is the ability to design one right so design thinking kind of areas uh, would impact the overall um, skill journey uh, but it kind of spans across a whole variety of new age scaling requirements so whether it be services, whether it be manufacturing, whether it be uh, sustainable energy, whether it be uh, even areas like construction, for example, the kind of skills that are required are going to be extremely different. Uh, and it's going to span across some of the more popular ones that I mentioned earlier, the ABCD, but also <clears throat> a big function of the role and the uh, uh, you know, the, the application of that particular technology in a particular industry. So it's going to be a combination of, of all of the above that I just spoke about. Right, that's very interesting. And going forward into the future of work, which are the skills that you think will take prominence in the future? So, uh, Manali, I think, uh, you know, the skill sets are very similar to what I just spoke about. Um, so, for example, uh, there is uh, no uh, industry in the country today which is not experimenting with, uh, with the whole uh, RPA concept. So, robotics and process automation is possibly the biggest area of investment for most manufacturing companies, uh, including some of the services companies as well. The second area where a lot of companies are now investing very heavily uh, is the whole area of artificial intelligence and machine learning. 
Now, uh, as we start automating processes, as we start automating a lot of human-driven interactions, and we start replacing some of them with uh, bots, uh, the need of the hour is to start building a lot of intelligent bots that are able to, uh, let's say, self-learn uh, along the way, which is where AI and machine learning really comes into play. Um, the third area I would talk about, which is going to have a very high impact across industries, is uh, blockchain. And uh, while we popularly associate blockchain with cryptocurrency, uh, the applications of blockchain are extremely wide and varied and it essentially puts in a level of trust within the industry across uh, multiple uh, transactions and interactions that any uh, particular uh, customer or any particular entity would have, which uh, is based, as you would know, on a, on a ledger-based kind of a system. In addition to that, uh, when we talk about the future of work, what we have to also uh, be cognizant of is the future of work is not going to necessarily be a nine to six uh, sitting in an office uh, kind of an environment. And when we were hit by COVID in 2020, uh, overnight we all switched from working in an office to working in remote locations. And one of the things that as a workforce we started realizing was the need or the requirement for a lot of soft skills. Um, for example, we talk a lot about technology skills, but we don't really appreciate a lot of soft skills like how do you communicate? Are you able to work in a distributed environment? How are you able to communicate and work effectively, for example, with teams that you might never have met face to face? How do you handle ambiguity? A lot of these are essential drivers of the new age workforce. And as the quality and as the construct of the future of work becomes very different to what we've always been used to, where, for example, if you're sitting across the table from someone and uh, talking to them, you're able to get, uh, let's say, a response mechanism in real time. Whereas when you're interacting with someone on email, uh, the interaction becomes a lot more impersonal, right? Uh, and a lot of people are not able to understand and really segregate between the two. So I think uh, the whole area of soft skills, as we call it, uh, the ability to handle uh, a volatile and a changing work environment or an ambiguous work environment, uh, these are all going to play a huge role going forward as well. Right. And now that you've mentioned soft skills, it leads me to my next question. What are some of the skills that will remain super important no matter how we work or even when the future of work shapes up? And um, I was uh, kind of uh, talking just about that. So I think Manali, the point uh, that I was trying to make uh, to your previous question uh, was that the underlying ability of a human being to work as a part of a larger organization or as a part of a larger team, whether it be in a physical environment or it be in a virtual environment, uh, is essentially what's going to decide their success. Very few roles exist 
today which work completely in isolation. So for example, even if you're part of a design team, uh, it's quite possible that <clears throat> your design team is spread across uh, you know, four different continents and, and six different countries. Now, that automatically brings in barriers uh, of language, of, uh, you know, time uh, lines are different, uh, you know, people's ability to understand, comprehend and respond and communication skills are very different. So how do you start working in this globally integrated supply chain? Um, I think while we are seeing a lot of countries such as India, of course, now coming to the forefront in terms of building uh, what we call as Atmanirvarta, which is really self-reliance. But at the same time, we work in a global supply chain, which the minute there is an event and political event, let's say in Northern Europe, uh, it impacts the whole world because the supply chains are impacted everywhere. So in such an environment, uh, you know, the kind of skills that people need are boiled down to the basics of being able to communicate clearly and precisely being able to comprehend clearly and precisely, be able to respond clearly and precisely, right? In a common language, which might not always be a common language like English, for example. So a lot of what's called, again, I'll refer to my soft skills point earlier, continue to remain very valid. Uh, the ability to work in the VUCA world, as we call it, volatile, um, uncertain, you know, there's so much change happening, there's so much ambiguity in the world. That's another key driver for people to be successful. And I would stress on one quality of adaptability, which is very important. I think while most of us might have trained for a certain role or a skill when we were in school or college, does not necessarily mean that we stay with it for the rest of our life. For example, I trained to be an economics graduate and I have never worked in economics. I have spent my entire career in technology. Uh, adaptability is key, right? And uh, I think those people who will continue to adapt and learn and uh, practice new skills will, of course, be able to survive and outlast their peers. Right. I couldn't agree more with that. So now let's talk about the gig economy in India. The economy is booming, it provides employment or even additional employments to a number of people across uh, socio-economic backgrounds. Now, what can be done to upskill these gig workers so that they enter the formal workforce or even start something of their own? Just a outlier thought process. A lot of gig workers might not want to enter the regular workforce uh, because they're very happy uh, working, uh, you know, gigs because the fundamental of a gig economy is that you work at your own pace. You work uh, on things that interest you and you work, uh, you know, on timelines that are convenient for you. And in today's world, you also work in a location which is uh, convenient to you. So uh, at Manipal, we continue to study the uh, the, the social and the demographics uh, part very, very closely. Uh, we do see a lot of people continuing on the gig economy journey. So they might never wish to enter the formal workforce. 
but to your point about uh, reskilling them or giving them opportunities so that either they can start something on their own or they want to enter the formal workforce i could potentially think of a couple of areas couple of things that they could definitely uh, do one is um, uh, what is very important when you come into the, the the regular workforce as you called it let's say uh, the corporate uh, kind of uh, culture is the ability to work within larger teams and adhere to timelines uh which essentially uh you know kind of enforces a level of discipline uh that might not always be uh you know the experience of somebody who has been part of a gig economy uh so the ability to work in a larger team the ability to work in uh a distributed team could potentially come in by them volunteering to take on something like an internship uh which could present potentially be their gateway into the corporate world uh the second thing which is um possibly equally important if not more is while they might have certain skills which corporate life or for example uh you know any larger organization would desire uh they potentially might need to focus on the role because for example i might be somebody who knows java as a skill but uh i might not necessarily get a role as a java developer i might come in as a quality assurance analyst or a business analyst because that's what the corporate uh, role that i apply for demands so for me to able to comprehend and understand uh the role uh, rather than the skill or the technology is far more relevant now regarding your point about for example starting up on your own i think that's a completely different kettle of fish a uh, <clears throat> couple of areas that most people uh struggle with when they start their own business and i've started my own business and run it so i can tell you from personal experience the first one is uh, the ability to handle finance and cash flow most people while they are very technologically very savvy but their ability to handle money is uh, not great uh, that's one thing school does not teach us that's one thing college does not teach us right it teaches you how to earn money it doesn't teach you how to manage money right so the whole concept of business finance including cash flow etc is very important The second thing when you are starting up your own business is the ability to quickly find a market uh, the ability to quickly launch a product that you could call um a minimum viable product uh understand or see the success of it and then decide to either scale up or scale down because at the end of the day every startup entrepreneur knows that you should not fall in love with your product if your customer does not love your product uh then there is something wrong either with the product or with the proposition that you brought to market uh and a lot of startup founders actually fail because they feel that they've got a great product and it's just that the market is not ready or the market is not able to appreciate it So I think that ability to get a business sense and ability to get a comprehension over the market actually is willing to pay for that's very important. 
right thanks for that perspective robin let's move on to the next topic which is artificial intelligence something that's trending and driving the conversation around the world so how do you look at ai and jobs let me uh, start off by um, kind of talking about the elephant in the room where uh, when people uh, talk about artificial intelligence i think the immediate interpretation is of from hollywood movies where uh, artificial intelligence is uh, taking over the world it's uh, uh, building humanoids and and robots and and they are replacing the human workforce and then the artificial intelligent uh, engine starts thinking on its own and and there is disaster now while that kind of a, a scary world scenario uh is possibly a, is is very remote um the ability of artificial intelligence uh to actually impact every industry every business every aspect of society is unprecedented um and what we are seeing today for example is a very uh, basic version of adoption of ai so while uh, we do have um some areas for example where uh, ai is uh, creeping in uh, to make even decisions uh, and and i can talk for example about let's say uh, the whole financial services sector the financial services sector is something which is uh adapting to ai much faster than anyone any other sector and uh, one of the use cases typically for ai in financial services is the ability to understand uh which customer might uh become a bad debt scenario right so a customer's ability to pay a customer's ability to uh let's say Uh, fund a purchase uh the customers uh, civil scores might not be enough uh for uh, for an accurate uh representation so a lot of back office uh credit based uh decisions are now be being taken by bots and the bots are a combination of um, uh you know i would say very basic inter- applications of Uh, artificially intelligent uh, algorithms uh the next version of it would typically be in uh let's say uh the whole high tech manufacturing space where uh there are a lot of uh, ai based uh factory uh you know automation setups that are actually building uh you know large scale volumes of uh automotives of uh, two wheelers of uh, you know whole bunch of other uh, mobility um, applications uh that is possibly the other area where there's been a huge impact of um, of ai but if we were to look at ai in terms of a very basic uh, common human being adapting ai in their day to day life um one of the common areas is uh, for example uh, speech to text or text to speech uh how does that impact a common man 
the ability to, for example, um, to learn from a standard book uh, is not the same for each and every learner. So how do you adapt um, a text to speech kind of a concept uh, and have that speech read out to you in your local language? Uh, because the text could potentially be written in English. Uh, but when you translate that text directly to your local language, it might not make sense. So there is a contextualization that happens in the process. Uh, so instead of a direct text to speech, it actually explains the concept and the context to you. So you're able to understand what the book is all about. So there are various applications for AI, and I think right from, as I said, to a very large complex shop floor, uh, to a very basic ability of somebody who might have, let's say, uh, cognitive or physical uh, inability to, let's say, consume a, a book. Uh, the adoption of an AI-based interface could possibly change their life and the way they learn. So clearly, uh, the applications and ramifications are, are enormous. Absolutely. There's so much innovation going on. And beyond the fear that AI will take away jobs, what's a critical aspect of this conversation that's missing? First of all, I think when we started, uh, when, or when, when, the first elect, uh, when the first car was invented, before that, uh, uh, you know, they used to be horses and carriages. Um, so right from uh, the early 1900s, every time there's been automation, every time there's been industrialization, uh, we have always feared that jobs would go away. And yet, uh, jobs have only increased. And today there is a complete imbalance in terms of, uh, you know, jobs uh, to the people who are available for those jobs. So clearly, um, the impact of AI would open up multiple new op opportunities and roles that we are probably not even able to comprehend today. But I would think that that's possibly the missing piece because the application of artificial intelligence uh, the ability of, let's say, somebody who understands Python programming to write a program um, or write an algorithm with a cognitive uh, decision-making ability is the basis of, um, let's say, the applications of that uh, the product. So today, effectively, a 15-year-old or a 12-year-old could write uh, a Python-based uh, application. I think where we are missing a trick uh, is probably um, in areas such as healthcare, for example, where uh, the potential of AI, for example, to diagnose and to even predict um, a lot of global applications in terms of healthcare and we have just come out of the worst crisis, uh, you know, that affected humanity called COVID. 
the ability of us you know of an ai engine for example to predict the next uh, similar pandemic uh, and a potential scenario of what we could do to avert it i think that's the trick that we are missing so possibly the biggest area of impact for any ai ml based application would be in the healthcare space uh, and that would typically have global ramifications um and 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 for me personally i think that's possibly the biggest impact area that we are missing today right right and how should we prepare ourselves or upskill ourselves to be ready for any such transformation that changes the way entire industries operate be it covid or uh, now with the uh, fast adoption of ai that's coming in my first response to that would be to be aware of what is going on what i find today is, is that uh, we are blissfully unaware of a lot of the change that's happening and um, if you are not glued into the impact of um, any technology why just artificial intelligence or or machine learning or blockchain if we just see for example that um, how loan processing has changed so if you think of let's say loan processing 10 years back or 15 years back it used to be a full 30 day affair where you go you have to submit your documents in triplicate and then wait for the bank manager to take a decision today you can get a loan um either from your peer group on whatsapp or you could get it from a lot of the mobile wallets where they promise you a loan within 90 seconds and a lot of that has come in from the fact that today you know the customer better but more importantly a lot of these new startups are willing to bet that customer behavior has fundamentally uh, evolved which means that today if i'm taking a loan i will repay the loan so they are willing to take a risk and take a bet on customer behavior now how do people upskill uh for such a change that's happening as i mentioned the first thing is to be aware of the change that's happening right uh the second thing is to clearly try and constantly upskill yourself in your area of um i would not say competency but in your area of choice because your area of competency might have been something completely different and today a lot of technology adoption has become very simple because technology itself has become simplified so when um we were learning coding we used to learn uh nested tables and you know uh, building blocks of coding using cobol and c and c++ today you have low code no code platforms today you have uh, a lot of um products that have been created for you where you can completely apply a user journey uh from a consumer's perspective and build an application completely on your own today you can build a website in seconds there are a lot of website builders where you just have to drag and drop the application you have to define your parameters and your website is up and running in in maybe less than an hour now that 
is available to you but is that something that is of interest to you is that something where you see a growth path is that something that you could potentially pursue and change the way you have looked at your career uh, those are all decisions that people need to take the one thing that most employee employees cannot afford to do anymore is not do anything i think the fact that um, we have a vast section of people for example who are operating in the public sector uh, who have been possibly doing the same job for the last 10 years 15 years 20 years and sometimes we might feel that we are insulated from the change but it's very unlikely that anyone is insulated from the change because when the change happens it's going to happen like a tsunami and everything is going to get swept under it but more importantly uh, it will also end up creating a very vast um, section or segment of people who are um, potentially redundant or they could be looking for jobs and because they have not invested in skilling themselves up either from a tech perspective or from a new role or a new job function or a new industry entirely uh those people would be at risk so the long and short of it is that there are various options available there are various modes available to skill and reskill yourself it's um also available at very attractive price points today so you don't have to be spending a lot of money and going through a completely uh, a three year learning journey or a four year learning journey to learn a new skill i think uh, everything is available to you in a modular fashion it's available to you on apps it's you can consume it at your own pace you can consume it at your own speed uh, you can decide do you want a basic level do you want a intermediate level do you want an advanced level of learning so you as a consumer have so much choice it's just that you have to make the effort to go out and get it right with some very pertinent points there robin uh, so now let's move on to the next uh, topic which is participation of women uh, we all know that there exists a huge gap in the participation of women in india's workforce and particularly in stem now what can be done to involve more women and other underserved communities into the workforce manali thank you for asking that question that's something which is of uh, particular interest to me um i think post covid uh, uh women have uh, this large segment of women who have dropped out of the labor force as well and and for multiple reasons so i think uh, while we report a certain unemployability number i think the bigger problem is uh, what's popularly called as labor force participation rate so labor force participation for women is possibly at its lowest in 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 uh, india today now um i think before we start uh, designing or planning uh, what's popularly called as a diversity and inclusion agenda uh, it's very important to contextualize um, and understand uh, the women who might be coming in and joining you as employees and understand their challenges their problems uh what are the constraints within which they are operating and also for the women who dropped out of the workforce why did they drop out of the workforce so um one of the 
advantages, I would say few advantages that COVID offered us was we realized that we could continue to work remotely um, and uh, businesses would still survive. So the whole work from home concept, I think is a uh, possibly the only silver lining to the dark cloud that uh, that we went through the last few years, uh, where uh, there is enough and more opportunity for women to use the workforce from home kind of a, a flexibility and, and come back into the workforce. The other challenges, uh, however, that remain is the skilling challenge. Do they have the right skills? And do they have the right infrastructure? So, for example, the assumption is that you have access to a laptop uh, or the access to a smartphone. Um, you cannot, of course, do a lot of jobs on a smartphone which you, for which you necessarily might need a laptop. Uh, and typically in a lot of houses, you will find that maybe the male member of the, of the family leaves with the laptop in the morning and the laptop only comes back home in the evening. And, uh, there is no device or infrastructure that's available for for uh, uh, the women uh, in the family. The third is uh, really the whole family structures and um, let's say uh, potential constraints around things like childcare, etc., which are again very real. Uh, and and fourth is what I would broadly call as motivation. Um, so motivation is a very key factor and motivation from an employer perspective typically uh, boils down to the ability to offer equal pay for equal jobs, uh, you know, significant growth path and of course the flexibility uh, that a woman would need uh, in terms of, um, you know, uh, maternity leaves, maternity pay, etc. which now fortunately in India is legal. Um, I think the whole motivation factor continues to be very important. And uh, there are certain jobs where women also feel, for example, that are not designed for them. For example, jobs in sales. Now, typically, most women would prefer not to take a job in sales or even a job as a delivery boy. I mean, you know, how many women um, are delivering food containers today? How many women are driving uh, cabs today uh, and there are certain restrictions or constraints some conceived some real uh, but overall i think a lot that can be done to uh, demystify some of those roles and make it equally attractive to women so i think the whole motivation factor is very important outside of uh, the agility that you need to provide, the flexibility that you need to provide, uh, and, and of course, the whole equal pay thing, the ability to give yes. them uh, career growth, which is, you know, um, completely based on their performance and so on and so forth. Um, but as I said, the last but not the least is really the motivation, and that's a fairly complex issue. Right. Right. And lastly, I'd like to get your thoughts on how you think the new education policy will change the skills landscape in India and also how you see Industry 4.0 playing out. I would think that the new education policy is probably, you know, 50 years too late. Uh, we should have definitely looked at this a lot earlier. Um, the new education policy, a couple of things that are very critical. 
One is the whole concept of the credit bank, um, which gives a learner the flexibility to come back into the learning journey at any point in time and at any place of their choosing. So the fact that, you know, after you leave your schooling, after you graduate from school, um, not everyone is privileged enough uh, where they can afford higher education. And then there are a lot of people who might just want to get a vocational training. Uh, one of the reasons why India came up with the industrial training institutes and the polytechnic model was exactly that, that how do we provide vocational training at scale? Now, unfortunately, what happened during the way was that um, quality became a suspect. And, uh, you know, the quality of education or the quality of training that you were getting in a polytechnic was always a question mark. And industry never engaged, right? So one of the biggest uh, challenges has been to get industry and academia to work together. So the whole concept of credit banks, uh, the whole concept of um, being able to come in and have a flexible learning journey is what I think the NEP has brought in. And that was that's a huge welcome change. Uh, the second thing that I think any, uh, the NEP will have an impact on is uh, the fact that certain subjects like uh, data-based uh, sciences or um, let's say programming um, skills are now being mandatory, uh, made, made mandatory across uh, most colleges. Um, programming is going to become a life skill and uh, it's going to be uh, one of the two, in my mind, um, uh, skills that are going to decide people's future. The other one is uh, the ability to work with data. Uh, we are a data hungry society. We are a data hungry and, and we, of course, generate like trillions of uh, gigabytes of data every day. Uh, the whole concept of, uh, you know, or, or the whole uh, potential of working in the data field, whether it be as a data scientist, as a data analyst, or even a data engineer, is uh, very exciting and it's again one of the areas in which the NEP has been focusing on. So I think programming, uh, basic tech skills and uh, data skills I think have been brought out in a, in a very significant way. Uh, to your point about uh, Industry 4.0, I think all of these skills are going to be required by Industry 4.0. Now Industry 4.0 really is um, working backwards with the consumer in mind. So every product, every service is being designed backwards from the user journey. And uh, when that happens, there's a lot of technology that comes at play because uh, the ability to even understand or predict consumer behavior means that you should be working in multiple scenarios, which often in um, uh, cases where you have human beings running those um, interactions, it becomes very difficult. So Industry 4.0 will predicate a lot of its growth on data and engineering, data engineering skills. And of course, a lot of areas like programming, we've spoken about machine learning, we spoke about artificial intelligence, etc. Last but not the least, I think Industry 4.0 um, will also focus a lot on design. Uh, we don't uh, spend too much talk time talking about design in this country. Uh, 
uh, we don't spend a lot of time talking about research and development in this country. I think, uh, you know, design thinking, the ability to design uh, world-class products, the ability to predict consumer behavior, the ability to do research, deep research in, uh, in, in tech um, are going to be supremely critical for anyone wishing to have a career uh, 10 to 15 years down the line. I think so that's one of uh, the other areas that Industry 4.0 is going to be really focusing on going forward. With that, we come to an end of this episode of the Vatvani Viewpoint Podcast. My name is Manali Shah and I'll see you in the next one.